I mean, I just find it really interesting. <laughs> Here. This is the talk about everything. Because there's just so much to talk about. Prove ourselves worthy of the majority. Millennial History. Welcome to Millennial History. In this podcast, we talk to millennials who lived big events in recent world history from up close. In this episode, we meet Aki. He grew up on Sicily, where a huge explosion with great consequences shook his world in 1992. My name is Andrea Woods. I am a musical journalist. I'm joined in the studio by composer and sound designer Luke Dean. All of the music that you will hear has been offered by musicians from Sicily. Let's go. I'm from Palermo, which is the, the biggest city in Sicily. I'm not from the city center, I'm from, uh, we call it uh, Borgata Marinara, which is a neighbor that is near the beach, but in the summer is a hell. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, we are very unpredictable people, very unpredictable and very, very dif- di- difficult to define. So if you walk in the street of Palermo, you can find uh, somebody that has an approach to life uh, that is maybe extremely strict and extremely consistent and extremely coherent. And that's somehow Sicilian attitude as well. And next to him, you find somebody that has never paid taxes in his life. That has the, uh, so the, this depth maybe it translates into this unpredictability within uh, people, uh, let's say, within each other, and, and even within themselves as as persons. You know, so there is a certain inconsistency in behaviors and um, and habits. Yes, there are still families that are uh, controlling pieces of the territory. That's that's the term that we use. What does that look like practically? To control territory in Sicily. Well, it's it's very subtle in the sense that if you walk there as a tourist or as a visitor, that you you don't see anything, or maybe you see things and you don't associate it to to that. Let's put it this way, it's a, it's a city that has a lot of uh, unemployment, um, but then uh, if you go to a certain neighbor, you see uh, somebody that is selling something illegally on the street, which can be sandwiches or... But if you think about it, why is that guy doing that and not somebody else? And why there and not somewhere else? Because somebody, some form of para-institution decides that that spot belongs to that person and so 
this is how you control the territory. But of course, historically, the most important source of income of those um, associations was the racket. We call it racket, which is asking money to the commercial activities for protection. It corresponds to, to taxation, it's, it's taxes, basically. So that's how it is. It's very pragmatic. There's nothing fancy about it. How did they come to collect these taxes? Just in cash? Yeah, just in cash. There's somebody going around. And if you say no? Well, nowadays it's different than in the past. In the past it was dangerous to say no. They could have come to burn your... Uh, most commonly they would have burned your shop or your restaurant or your bar. Or they would have intimidated you up to the point that you were too scared not to pay. They were protecting you from themselves, in fact. I remember, for instance, as a personal anecdote, once they stole my father's motorbike when he was having a, a drink. My father, the day later, went to, the, to this bar and told to the owner, well, I was having a drink here at your place and my motorbike got stolen. And he was, of course, very, very sorry and said, I don't know, let's see what, 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 what we can find out. And after nearly a week, my father receives a call from the police that tells him, oh, we found your motorbike, it's parked, uh, um, it's parked here, I mean, not too far from the place. And we went there and there was the motorbike in perfect condition, chained with a very good lock, with a very good chain. And that was a kind of a mysterious thing, if you think about it, because first of all, how did the police know that that was a stolen motorbike? What must have happened in that circumstance is that the owner of the place said, look, somebody harmed a customer of mine, and that is not in our agreement somehow. So they managed to track who stole the motorbike, and the police was informed of where the motorbike was by who stole it. And that was a, a shocking moment in the history of our country. Um, in many ways, things can be... <laughs> in the recent history of Italy, it's relevant whether something has happened before or after that. Moment of break. Do that. Uh, because I want to be sure that the date was uh, 23rd of May. I think it 92, was... 92, uh, right? 92. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> it was the afternoon of May 23rd, 1992. I was... Uh, I was five years old. Five years old. Five years and a half. And um, I was uh, at the house, at the countryside house of my grandparents like where I was spending 
a lot of time in um, spring and in the summer and we we hear this very loud explosion coming from a concrete factory near the highway we hear this very loud boom and and of course everybody started wondering what that would have been and everybody thought that there was an accident in the factory there was this cloud of smoke it was strange people were saying yeah it seems like a fact but why a concrete factory should have such a big explosion what do they have they they are not making fireworks after not more than two hours we turned on the television and we figured out that that was a bomb that killed judge uh, the judge giovanni falcone his wife and three men of his uh, guards Judge Falcone was coming back from Rome and uh, they, they placed this unbelievable amount of explosive below the highway in a pipe that was going under the, under the road and they remotely activated the bomb with the remote control from the hill um, three or four hundred meters above the point of the explosion and the house of my grandparents was I would say less than a kilo, maybe 500 meters, 400 meters from the point of the explosion. So that was very clear, it was very loud. But I remember it perfect, perfectly. The highway was completely blown out. There was no road anymore. There was no road. If you, there are the images of the, the first reporters who get there, and there was nothing. There was just uh, soil and and those cars completely destroyed. But the, 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 it was a war zone. When the bomb exploded, the car that blew off completely was the car in front, and the, that car was completely wrecked and it was very difficult to, to, to recompose the bodies. While the car of Giovanni Falcone, in fact, didn't blow up. The car of Giovanni Falcone hit against the wall of debris that were generated by the explosion. As a matter of fact, he was still alive. The traumas that he had were comparable to the one of a car accident because he just hit against the debris. He arrived at the hospital that was still alive and he died of uh, trauma at his chest and his head because he was also not wearing a safety belt. If he would have worn a safety belt, he would be alive, most likely. It's a way of operating that even for mafia was... Uh, quite something because the mafia has historically done its ex execution with the gun on the street you know this was a big thing that was a, 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 a rather a terroristic method 
than a mafia method. Or like theater. Yeah, they wanted to make it big. They wanted to make it big. How did they even physically manage? How? Well, you just put a lot of explosive. You put a lot of explosive and you have people that know how to do the job. That's, for instance, one of the controversies around those uh, bombings, because they say you need an engineer to organize this properly. It's hard to believe that just some criminals that barely that can barely speak Italian, read and write can can plan such a thing. It was a highly sophisticated plan. What stick to my memory the most is the is the sound of the explosion. It's something that I have never heard before and after that. Can you describe when, it? When do you... Hey, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a, a thunder. It's like a thunder. It's like a... It's a boom. Very deep, very low and very loud. And very short. I mean, when you're a kid, you cannot distinguish very well from what is common, what is regular and what is exceptional. You just absorb it. So it was like, all right, that must be how it is. That was the first time that I heard about mafia. That was the first time that I heard about the bomb. It was the first thing that made me think in terms of what's behind my little kid's context. Because, you know, when you're a kid, what are you aware of? Of your family, of your friends, of the school, and of the story. And what's behind it doesn't concern you, you don't know. So that was the first thing that came from this outside world. I don't remember any news before that. I remember when my grandmother fell from the stairs, or you know. So that's the first thing I remember of what happened outside my kid circle. I always say that that was the date of birth of my political and social consciousness. To the very core, let's say, that was the moment I knew, I realized, there is a society. Giovanni Falcone was a crucial member of an anti-mafia pool of judges. 
one of them was Giovanni Falcone, one of them was Paolo Borsellino that was killed the same way uh, 12, uh, no, 20 days after. The same way? Yeah, with another explosion. On that, the highway? On the, in the city center. That was even more, more uh, violent. Even more violent. That, that was awful. That was awful. Paolo Borsellino and Giovanni Falcone were probably the most important members of this, um, this team of judges. Historically, that has an immense value because it's thanks to them that you can convict someone for being part of mafia. They opened the gate to what was called the maxi procession and maxi trial. They basically managed to arrest some hundreds, hundreds of heads of mafia and they made a trial up with all of them at the same time. It was one huge trial with hundreds of, uh, of, of people. And in order to do that, they had to build a trial room. If you should Google it, it's called Aula Bunker. It's enormous and it's surrounded by cages. Because this uh, was built attached to a jail, pictures of the trial that are impressive, where you see these hundreds of people uh, in, in these cages all around. And that was, of course, um, very dishonorable. Revenge is an important element in the mafia culture. So it was an act of revenge. So that's why, that's why he was killed. Uh, well, first of all, let's say um, there was no question anymore after this that mafia was a threat for the people. In the collective consciousness of people, this definitely made a switch. This definitely 
entered in, in people's mind, especially in, in Palermo and in Sicily. The society reacted to that and it reacted beautifully. How? Well, there was a period right after that that we call the Spring of Palermo, which is in fact the one of which I have more memories because I grew in, uh, I grew up in this city after bomb after those bombings, where uh, all of a sudden everybody was organizing cultural events. Uh, there was a vitality. Everybody was hanging at their balcony those white sheets with the portraits of Falcone and Borsellino. As I, as I told you, it was interesting to grow up in this Palermo that was suddenly waking up. My mother was, uh, we were always going together to these street demonstrations against Mafia. I remember at least two of them. <laughs> few years, 10 maybe, wow, 5 to 10 years. that's not a few years. No, but then it faded out. It faded out completely. And now we are almost back at point zero. Why Mafia in the first place um, uh, grew and developed in, in Sicily? Because institutions have been neglecting southern uh, Italian uh, regions. So when the, when the institutions are, are, are neglecting up to this extent, uh, the skepticality toward institutions grows again, the clientelism uh, grows again. So, yeah, so the, let's say nothing was done f at an institutional level to, to promote and, and keep that thing rolling as the normality. It was again, okay, whatever. Uh, the Italian tends to forget very easily about their history. Very easily. Yeah, it makes my, me as well skeptical and negative. And, you know, I'm going to kind of surrender to what's going on. I left, as a matter of fact. This is the highest um, proof of my surrendering, you know. Just fuck it. So it's it's well known that right after those explosions, there was a negotiation between mafia and part of the institutions. This is history. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's known that this happened. And they tried to negotiate. A truce? No, uh, <laughs> not at all. So um, what happened is that the terrorist component of mafia uh, had to go. And um, institutions tried to negotiate with, with mafia in order to stop the violence in change of something, of course. And as a matter of fact, after those two bombings, that was not one drop of blood for 25 years. In the 80s, every day there was something happening. So after those bombs, Mafia got quiet again. Paolo Borsellino, before dying, before being killed, was uh, doing his investigations um, 
uh, about the connection between Sicilian mafia and um, North Italy entrepreneurs that were rising in that period, one above all Silvio Berlusconi. That is, it is proof that the right arm of Silvio Berlusconi, who's now in jail himself, was the connective element between mafia and Berlusconi that was about to become an extremely powerful man. At the national level, I think that if that compromise between mafia and the state wouldn't have happened, the war would have just continued, I suppose. With which outcomes, I don't know. But maybe we wouldn't have had Berlusconi. Most likely we wouldn't have had Berlusconi. But maybe some, somebody worse than him would have been there. So I, I don't know, but certainly uh, I don't know what he Sicilian mafia having connection with the drug industry in the Netherlands. And then now, the mafia. Italiaanse mafia is in Europa zeer actief. Elsterdam is gisteravond een Italiaanse maffiabaas gearresteerd. Hij is de hoofdverdachte van een zesvoudige moord in de Die Italiaanse maffia krijgt in Nederland steeds meer voet aan de grond. U heeft dat vandaag al eerder kunnen horen. Een speciaal team van de Nederlandse politie moet in de hand bestrijden. Daarover ga ik het hebben met het hoofd van de Nederlandse recherche, Wilhelm Paulussen. En met Italië-president Paulien Valkenet. In Zandvoort gebleven blijkt een kopstuk van de Italiaanse maffia. Heerlijke pizza's. Pizza Margarita. We hadden een klein terrasje buiten, op de, gewoon op de, op de trottoir en dat zat echt iedere avond vol. Hij kwam ook regelmatig met een glaasje wijn aan tafel zitten. En dus hij, hij, ja, het was echt een soort buurtfiguur geworden. Maar hij had hier dus een fantastisch leven. Absoluut, ja. En we zullen hem ook heel erg gaan missen. What drives me crazy is that, uh, and what concerns me the most, is, is that People in the Netherlands doesn't give a fuck about this. This is what made, drives me crazy that they that people still um, treats this matter in the best case scenarios with uh, total indifference, and in the worst case scenario they even think that that that's not relevant or that doesn't exist or that which is actually what mafia needs in order to prosperate. You know, so what drives me crazy more than the fact that those phenomena are taking place is that the people doesn't give a damn. I've never heard anybody asking me a question. I would be glad if somebody would come to me and ask me some questions about mafia that are some real, that are connected to reality, rather than asking me, ah, but if I go to the street uh, Palermo, then they shoot me. Vito, you understand? Yeah. What is the biggest misconception that you feel that you hear around you? About mafia? Yeah. That it's a fictional phenomenon. Or even worse, that it's a fascinating phenomenon. You know? I always say that people treat mafia as it's, as, uh, as it's a Star Wars. 
with the same kind of cult, you know. I love the great, the, 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 the Godfather, uh, but I mean, The Godfather is a fucking movie. It is already branded yeah. to, to something that can be sold as a cultural product, as a food, uh, food product, as a, as a clothing product, as a... It's a brand that is totally disconnected with reality. It's, it's insane. It's uh, Did you know surreal. That, that this was the attitude before you left Sicily? No. Sicilian friends of you, do they have the same experiences? No, everybody. Everyone. Do you think we are naive? <sighs> no, I, I, no, I, 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 naive is a too diplomatic, uh, too diplomatic term. People is ignorant, ignorant. Naive is another thing. Misinformed uninterested not naive so Europe is a unified or a unifying reality at least for what concerns criminality if people doesn't acknowledge this this system of criminality will get stronger get together and to open to each other, to listen to each other and to, and to speak openly. That's one step. I don't know if that's going to be enough, but that's what we can do at our level. Is there anything that gives you hope? Uh, look, there, there, is, um, there is a quote from Giovanni Falcone that for some Sicilians is a sort of mantra that mafia is a human phenomenon, and as all human phenomenon, it had a beginning, it has a development, and it will come to end, as all human phenomenon. As I said, what we can do is to speed up the process as much as possible. But what triggers me the most is to watch or read about it. When I see an interview of Giovanni Falcone, I have, I, I, 
it's 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 always very strong when I hear him talking because I I can understand every every single word and I immediately think that I heard the bomb that kills that man This show was brought to you by Resonate Productions. We make musical journalism on emotional blind spots in society. Many thanks to all the musicians who donated their songs to help to tell this story. Alfio Antico, Giulia Tagliavia, Francesco Guiana and Salvatore Bonafede. You can find all of them on facebook.com slash musicaljournalism. See you next time.